scripture lesson today is from the Gospel of Matthew, the ninth chapter, verses 10 through 13. It's one of many stories in the Gospel where Jesus does what you're about to hear him do. And as he sat at dinner in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came and were sitting with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard this, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Holy God, we pray that you will grant us the eyes to see and the ears to hear, the hearts and minds to understand your word and your world today. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a number of years ago, there was a conference held in England on the topic of comparative religion, looking at all the various religions of the world, especially the the major uh, world religions. And the topic came up at sort of a small colloquy, a small meeting, about what is it that makes each religion itself? What makes it unique? And then the question came up, of course, well, what makes Christianity unique among the world religions? And so these experts in comparative religion talked for a while, and they went through all the possibilities. They talked about the incarnation. Turns out that a number of religions in this world have the idea in their own stories of God appearing in human form. Well, what about resurrection? Well, again, lots of other religions have this idea that there's a possibility of life after death. And so the conversation went on and on for a while, and it got heated at points. And then the well known Christian writer, C.S. Lewis, entered the room. And he asked, what's all this about? And he was told that the the question on the table is this. What is Christianity's unique contribution to the world's religions? And then C.S. Lewis responded, well, that's easy. It's grace. So the conferees talked some more, and then they all had to agree that the idea of grace, the idea of God's love coming to us freely as a gift without you or me deserving it in any way, that idea is not found in any of the other major world religions. What's more, it seems to go against every instinct we have as human beings, as people living in societies and cultures. I mean, almost from the time that our that our ancestors came down from the trees, we human beings have been trying to impress one God or another. We've made sacrifices, we've performed rituals, we've followed rules, we've said certain prayers, we've eaten certain foods, all in an effort to win divine favor for ourselves. But Christianity is different, or at least it's supposed to be because it is a no-strings-attached religion. No strings attached. 
Now, did you ever wonder where that, that phrase came from, no strings attached? Doesn't mean we're not having strings play at the choir Sunday or anything like that. No strings attached. That phrase comes from the cloth making industry, where they used to attach a piece of string to a section of fabric to clearly mark out that there was a flaw, a flaw in the fabric. So no strings attached eventually came to mean without a flaw. Well, the writer Annie Lamott tells about a time in her life when she was a deeply flawed human being with strings stuck all over her. And she was broke, she was bulimic, depressed, addicted to drugs, And she writes, I could no longer imagine how God could love me. So out of desperation, she visited a priest. And she said to the priest, I am so messed up that I don't think God can love me. And the priest replied, but God has to love you. That's his job. Remember what Jesus says about what is the most important commandment in all of the Bible? It's to love God with all your mind and all your heart and all your strength and to love your neighbors as yourself. Well, as as has often been pointed out, part of the problem with all that love of God and of your neighbors is sometimes it's, it's hard to love yourself. And depending on what you mean by that, loving yourself, I'd have to agree. You know, assuming you're not some sort of an utter narcissist, where all of life is about loving yourself. Because loving yourself can be a big stumbling block to those of us who are well aware of our own flaws, or have had our flaws pointed out to us over and over again by other people in our lives, or or even by the church. But the Christian understanding of grace gives us a fresh new perspective because it's from God's point of view, not from our point of view. Sees us as we are, flaws and all, and yet it still accepts and loves us with no strings attached. Now, it's interesting that out of the eight times that Jesus accepts a dinner invitation, In the Gospels, five of those times, he eats with people that the rest of society sees as defective in some way. He eats with prostitutes, lepers, sinners, foreigners, thieves, tax collectors. Now, of course, the uh, the self-appointed guardians of decency and decorum, the Pharisees, they're not very impressed with this. So they ask his disciples a very logical question. They say, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus overhears that question, and his answer is classic. He says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick do. And you can imagine the Pharisees' response, you know, something like, okay, Jesus, go ahead and hang out with the degenerates. Just keep them away from us. That's the philosophy of a Pharisee right there. 
It wants to set up a safe, respectable, sacred space set apart from the pains and the bothers of this world. But, in so doing, it leaves no space for grace. Because in the gospel, Jesus says point blank, I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners. Now, why does he say that? I mean, doesn't he call everybody, whether you're righteous or a sinner, to follow him? Well, yes, of course he does. And no. Because the reality is this. Those who are aware of their own flaws or of their own sin, those are the kinds of folks who are most ready to hear and to receive and to respond to the good news of grace. They may be desperate for it. Meanwhile, those who think they pretty much have it all together in their lives, oftentimes they can't even be bothered. Now, does that mean anything goes? You know, that it doesn't matter what you do with your life since God's going to love you anyway and all that kind of stuff? Of course it doesn't mean that. It's true that God loves you as you are, but God also wants you to become more than what you are right now. And as recipients of grace... We're all called to live with integrity and purpose and mercy and love. So, behavior matters. It matters a lot. It's just not how you get accepted by God. You may know the story from the gospel about a woman who was caught in the act of adultery. At that time, it was thought to be a crime worthy of the death penalty. So Jesus shows up, he finds an angry mob of of men ready to stone this disgraced woman. And why shouldn't they? I mean, they're in the right, according to both their law and social convention of the time. They're right, they're righteous. But Jesus sees things differently. Because he sees with the eyes of grace. And he says to the accusers, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And there's an uncomfortable silence in the crowd. And then after a moment, they start to file away in shame. And Jesus turns to this woman and he says to her, Where are they now? Has no one condemned you? Then neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. You see, in this case, grace has absolutely nothing to do with what you need from God to get into heaven after you die. What grace is about is how you get your own life back right now with God's help. I want to tell you another story. It comes from Tony Campolo. Some of you have probably heard of Tony's. One of my favorite writers and teachers and preachers. Well, a few years ago, he went to Hawaii for a conference. This is a while back. He went to Hawaii for a conference, and he checked into his hotel. He went to bed, but his internal clock was all messed up. So 
from the flight from Philadelphia and everything. So he wakes up at 3 o'clock, 3 a.m., and totally awake. And he decides, you know, i got to do something. I can't sleep. So he gets up. He wants to find a place to eat because he's hungry. But he goes outside, and everything's closed, except there's a grungy dive bar that he finds around the corner from the hotel. So he goes in, he sits down at the counter of this diner, and he's eating a donut and a coffee, and as he's doing so, a group, a group, like this is three in the morning, a group of eight or nine prostitutes walks into this diner. And they plop down at the counter, and not surprisingly, Tony starts to feel a little bit uncomfortable. So he gulps down the coffee. Then he hears the woman who's next to him say to her friend, you know what, tomorrow's my birthday, I'm going to be 39. To which her friend nastily replies, so what do you want? You want me to say happy birthday to you? You want me to bake you a cake? And the woman says, oh, come on, why are you so mean? I'm just saying it's my birthday. I, I don't want anything from you. I mean, why should I have a birthday party? Never had a birthday party in my whole life. Why should I have one now? Well, when Tony heard it, he made a decision, and he sat and he waited until the women had left. And then he turns to the guy behind the counter, his name was Harry, he says, do they come in here every night? Harry says, yes. The one who was sitting right next to me, she comes in every night, right? Harry says, yes, that's Agnes. She's here every night, she's been coming in here for years, she's actually kind of nice, she's always trying to help other people. Why do you want to know? said tomorrow's her birthday. So what do you think? You think we could maybe throw a little birthday party for her right here tomorrow in the diner? A smile crept over Harry's face. Harry says, that's great. Yeah, that's great. I like it. So they make their plans. And Tony says he'll be back at 2.30 the next morning to do decorations. And the guy, uh, Harry, says... He'll go out and he'll let people know on the street, so to speak, that there's going to be this party, but keep it quiet. So Tony has all the decorations and the cardboard sign that says, Happy Birthday, Agnes, gets the diner looking great. And by 3.15 in the morning, it seemed like every hooker in Honolulu was in the diner. And at 3.30 on the dot, door swings open, and in walks Agnes and her friends. Tony has everybody ready, and they all shout, Happy birthday, Agnes! And she's absolutely flabbergasted. So when the birthday cake comes out, she starts to sob and cry. And Harry, who's not used to seeing a prostitute cry, mumbles, Blow out the candles, Agnes! So she pulls herself together, blows out all the candles, everybody cheers, and then Agnes looks down at the cake, and without taking her eyes off of it, she says softly, look, Harry, is it okay if I, if I don't, I mean, but I want to ask, is it okay if I take and keep the cake for myself for a little while? Is it all right if we don't eat it all right away? Harry doesn't know what to say, so he, he shrugs. He says, sure, if that's what you want to do, keep the cake. Take it home if you want. 
So Agnes picks up the cake, carries it high in front of her like it was the Holy Grail. She walks out of the diner. Everybody watches in stunned silence. And then the door closes behind her. They all start looking at Tony. He gets up on a table. You can imagine, if you know Tony Campolo, him doing this. He gets up on a table and he says, what do you say we pray together? And when he's finished praying, Harry leans over to him and says, hey, you never told me you were a preacher. What kind of church do you belong to anyway? And in one of those moments where somehow the words just come out right, Tony answers him quietly. I belong to a church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes at 3.30 in the morning. Harry thinks for a moment, and then he says, no, you don't. There's, there's no church like that. If there was, I'd join up. Yeah, I'd join a church like that. You know, I tell the story because it's full of grace. The amazing gift of love and mercy that makes beauty out of ugly things. It's something Jesus talked about all the time. He described a world overflowing with God's grace where the sun shines on people, whether they're good or bad, where birds gather seeds, neither plowing nor harvesting to earn them, where unintended, untended wildflowers burst into bloom on rocky hillsides. You know, it's a fact of life that none of us is lovable all the time. But the gospel truth is this, that despite our flaws... God loves all of us, all of you, all the time, no strings attached. And the only proper response to such amazing grace is to live our lives in gratitude, to pass on that grace and that gratitude to others in Jesus' name.